All right, well, this morning we're going to continue, obviously, going through the Sermon on the Mount. It's already week seven. Uh, we're going to take a look at oaths, making oaths, and kind of truthfulness surrounding oaths. Um, one of the things I think we, will, we, we need to keep in mind as we go through this is that we are all sinners living in a fallen world, and we need to keep that presupposition clearly because that is what Jesus has in mind through all of this. And as we go through this, think of what is this telling me? What do I need to glean from this? So uh, would someone be willing to open up in prayer this morning? Raise a hand, someone. Father in heaven, we thank you Lord, that you gather us this morning. Uh, Father, we come by your grace with humble hearts, uh, interested in hearing what you would communicate to us through the truth of your word. God, may the gospel reach deep within each of us. May it transform hearts and minds, God, that we would draw closer to you. God, the aim this morning is that you would be glorified, that Christ's name would be exalted, that your word as truth would be proclaimed. Give us wisdom and grace and mercy for each day that we might maybe through the calendar this week and saw that we were going to be covering O's, or maybe you just heard it this morning, but how many of you, when you heard we're covering O's, went, yes, I have needed this. This is exactly what I've been looking for. You don't know how long I've waited to hear a good lesson on O's. Well, obviously, that's most likely not, not what any of us did. But it's interesting. Um... There are passages of scripture that when we look at them on the surface, we think, why do I need to get excited about this? Why do I need to, to look un, into this? Well, Christ in his Sermon on the Mount thought this was significant enough that it needs to be part of this sermon. And it needs to be part of his sermon. And so this passage here is often neglected. Most people will recognize one verse in here, and that is, let your yes be yes and your no be no. But the part before that is the part that's probably the least familiar of all the Sermon on the Mount almost. And the people who do take time to look at it often misinterpret it. And so this morning we're going to take some time to, to try to fully understand this. Um, just some thoughts when it comes to dealing with passages that at, at the outset do not excite us. Um, first of all, we need to remember when we study scripture, it's not about our feelings. Everything in there is God-breathed and useful for teaching. So we need to remember it's not, it's not about how we feel all the time. God has things in there that we need to study anyway. Um, not every passage of scripture will have a really strong application to what your biggest problem is right now. Um, and that's okay. There are other people facing it. There are other people uh, who may go through it, and you're going to come up against it eventually. Um, so we can't think of that it's unimportant. But here's the biggest thing I want you to remember when it comes to dealing with passages that don't excite us, or we think, do I really need to spend time looking at this? That feeling, that understanding is usually because we lack a full understanding of the topic. And deeper study will show us the significance. So when you come up against passages that you go, why would I spend some time on this? Think, Christ thought it was important. God thought it was important to put it in Scripture. 
I need to find out why. Approach it that way. Um, when it comes to oaths, we're going to find today, I believe, that there's a lot that applies to us. And it's very important to our lives. It's just something we don't think about often. And this is why preachers cannot just always preach to felt needs, what people feel they need. Sometimes we have to preach exactly to, to things that people don't realize they need. Uh, and that's the way it is for all of us in talking to people. This is why exegetical preaching or expository preaching, going through books of the Bible is so important because you don't skip things that you think are less important when in fact they are very important. Um, and when topical preaching, that happens a lot. I'm thankful we do expository preaching uh, here at the Bethel Grace. But we'll keep those things in mind. So just a review, um, where we've been, we studied the Beatitudes, the, the characteristics of a believer, born in spirit, mourning, all those things that came along with that. Then we went from there and said, we're to be salt and light. Because we are different, we live in a fallen world, a world that is, is under the, the sway of the evil one. And we need to stand out as different, to act as a preservative, to give light to the world. And then we went on and Christ talked about his relationship to the law because people were questioning what, what relationship do you have to the law? You seem to be contradicting the Pharisees. They're the teachers of the law. And remember, he came along and said, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes of the Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter heaven, or enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, he wasn't saying you do these works to be saved. He was saying, look, the Pharisees got it all wrong. They don't even understand the law. In being salt and light, you need to live according to God's word, according to God's law. And so... Jesus is now, we're in the midst of six illustrations that Jesus is giving to highlight that, that point, that our righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. The first one we looked at is the Pharisees' teaching of thou shalt not murder. They thought as long as you didn't commit the act, you were sinless. But Jesus says, look, if you hate someone in your heart without cause, you're guilty of it. You know, at least the sin is there. Then last week, Scott taught on the, uh, the teachings of lust and adultery. Well, this is the, uh, the fourth one, and we're going to be looking at oaths. Um, so the outline for oaths that we're going to be covering today, well, basically we're just going to do this. What did the law teach? What did the Pharisees teach? What did Jesus teach? And then how does this apply to us? But you cannot do application unless you've actually done the hard work of the exegesis, trying to understand what the text really means. So often, most people will just jump right to the application. How does this apply to us? And they haven't really spent time trying to figure out what does this actually mean. If you're not applying what it actually means, you're getting it all wrong. It's also dangerous, I think, when teachers and preachers just do application without showing and going through teaching people, showing them how to exegete these texts and why these texts mean this, because what happens is even if the preacher is right and the applications are correct, someone is challenged on the street as a church member and says, why do you live this way? Because uh, the Bible says I should. Well, where? They, they don't know how to draw it out of the text because they've not learned how to really understand the passages. So, um, let's go ahead and would someone read Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, 
You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take on oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simple, yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Okay. Now, pretty much for all of these illustrations, Jesus has been using the same formula. First of all, he says, you have heard it said. He is not, when he, when he says that, he is not referring to Moses said, the law said. What he's saying is, you have heard it said, Pharisaical tradition, the ones who are misinterpreting the law. You see them as the standard of what the law should be. This is what they're saying. And then he comes right along behind that and says, but I say to you, speaking with authority, the one who was in times past, the author of the law even, I say to you, this is how it should be. And he's usually um, bringing us back to the original understanding of the law. So, the first uh, question we need to ask when we come to this, before we even start getting into this text, because this would have been in the forefront of all their minds, is what did the Mosaic Law teach on oaths? Now, when we get to this topic and this idea of truthfulness, there are really two commandments in the Ten Commandments that deal with it. The first one, because we'll see we're talking about swearing on the name of the Lord, the first one is, do not use the Lord's name in vain. The Pharisees were guilty of this, as we'll see. The second one is, you shall not bear false witness. You shall not lie. You shall not perjure yourself. So, I've written out a list of verses. I'm just going to go through them quickly. If you want to look them up later or follow, try to follow along, um, you can. But I'll just give you some thoughts on what the uh, Mosaic Law said about oaths. In Deuteronomy 10.20, uh, we read this. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name, you shall swear. So what this is saying is if someone calls on us, or especially a Hebrew, to swear, if they're going to swear, they should do it by the name of the Lord. This is a command. You should do it this way. Um, they were not to swear by anything else, only the name of the Lord. Why? Because nothing has the solemnity that the name of God has. Anything else would be lighter, trivial, and not commit us as much. So that's the first thing we learn. You are, if you are to swear, to swear on the name of the Lord. Leviticus 19.12 says, You shall not swear on my name falsely, and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. So the second thing is you cannot lie when making a vow. You cannot say, knowing I'm not going to do this, yeah, I swear by the name of the Lord I will do this. When someone does that, they are profaning the name of the Lord. And we'll get into why here in a minute. Um, Numbers 32, uh, 30 verse 2 says, If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. So then this is a little different than the first one. It's different than swearing falsely because some people can swear honestly. I am going to do this by the name of the Lord 
And then later, think, well, there's new situations, new things I didn't understand. Now I'm going to back out. So, no, if you make this oath, you shall do it. There's no backing out of it, ever, is really what this is, is telling us here. And then finally, um, and by the way, there are some tragic uh, stories uh, in Scripture of men who made tragic vows. We all know the story of Jephthah, most likely. Uh, I'll let you read that if you want in Judges 11. Uh, but uh, he made a very tragic vow that cost him his daughter. Um, Deuteronomy uh, 23.21 says this, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in fulfilling it. For uh, the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin, basically, if you do not fulfill it. So on top of that, vows that you have made to the Lord are to have top priority over other things. So if you've committed to someone and you've sworn in a court of law or whatever that you will do this, you need to make it a top priority to make sure it gets done. If it is a vow you have made before the Lord that is ongoing, that never really has a, an end point, let's say like marriage, we've all swore before the Lord and before these witnesses that we would honor and keep, that needs to be a top priority in your life. There's an urgency um, you shall not delay in fulfilling it in all of these things. So, what are what was kind of the kind of give you a summary or purposes of law in the Old Testament? First of all, Arthur Pink gives us a few good quotes. What is an oath? Just give a basic definition here. He says, an oath is a religious and necessary confirmation of things that are doubtful. By calling God to be a witness of truth and a revenger of falsehood. So it's a religious act. I'll give you one more quote on that in a minute. But realize this. When we call God into it, I swear by the name of God, swear to God. Sometimes we use this inappropriately, as we'll see later. We're saying, I will do this or this is true. And if it not be true, may God revenge me for my falsehood. That's not something we want on our head lightly. This is what's being said. It goes, uh, Pink goes on, he says, uh, The fact that it is re a religious confirmation is seen from the fact that it is part of divine worship. God himself being invoked therein. We are saying, I have honor and reverence for God. That's worship. And I am calling him into this situation and putting his name in here. So it is a religious thing. It goes on, um, and he says, the type of oaths that were to be made in the Old Testament were, one, it must be something that needs necessary confirmation. Because any oath is unlawful which concerns only trifling matters or things that really need no solemn settlement. If you're saying, no, when I was back in 86, it was the Redskins. I swear to God. That is a trifle. That is a, a profaning of the name of God. Um, and... Uh, here, two points, two purposes, or well, the main purpose of the law was this. 
O's were to be used to slow down man's tendency to lie. This is the world we live in. This is who we are even. We struggle with truthfulness. Just look at the world. Listen to the media. And you will just hear lies after lies, exaggerations after exaggerations. Because this is the world we live in, God instituted oaths to make certain matters which are very serious, more solemn, and try to curb that um, tendency to lie. So, what did the Pharisees teach? Let's go to our text uh, that we're looking at today, Matthew 5.33. The first verse says, Again, you have heard that it was said of old, those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, what they did is they confined the whole purpose of the law. It's not really explained here, but we'll look at some other passages in Scripture, and history shows us this. What they had done is they had confirmed the whole purpose of this law, and by the way, you will not find this statement, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform it to the Lord what you have sworn, anywhere directly in Scripture. There were some, obviously, statements like that made, but they're not referring to any specific Scripture when they said this. But they put the whole purpose is, this is talking about perjury, kind of like murder. As long as I don't commit the act of murder, I'm not guilty. As long as I don't actually commit the act of adultery, I'm not guilty. And Jesus says, if you've got the sin in your heart, you are. So they said only that is what matters. Now, Jesus does not disagree with this. Perjury is a serious, serious sin. Um, Walter Kaiser, a great biblical scholar, says this. Honest testimony is at the heart of the judicial system, and any deviation from this standard is an attack on the entire legal process. That is what our entire judicial system is based on, honesty. And to lie in court is an attack, not just on the person that you're lying about. It's an attack on the entire system, which, by the way, shows us the peril and how easily our legal system can become flawed. Um, so it is, it is important, and it was even punishable by death. If the lie you told would have gotten that man killed in the Old Testament, that was the punishment you were going to bear. If the lie you told in court would have caused them to lose five oxen, you will lose five oxen. That was how the punishment was laid out for perjury in the Old Testament. Now, because they had said, this is really the only place that you make oaths, um, they, they said, well, you know, the, the only place that really matters is they would then begin to swear, this is the Pharisees, swear in all sorts of common matters of life, the trivial things. And because they didn't, they wanted to get out on a technicality, they wouldn't swear by the name of God. They would swear by things like the temple or the gold in the temple and all this type of stuff. And so, um, so those were the two main problems. They didn't swear by God and they swear in their common language or common speech, not in the important things. Um, now, let me read you a passage. Uh, Matthew 23, 16, if you want to turn there, because I think this is, this is important. This is, Jesus is laying out woes to the Pharisees, and he's again going to address their use of oaths. And he says this, Matthew 23, verse 16, Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. 
But if anybody swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anybody swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar, or by the altar, swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven, or swears by the throne of God, I'm sorry, swears by heaven, swears by the throne of God, and by him who sits upon it. So, this is what they would do. Now that they're already disobeying the law of God, swearing on other things, people would come to them and say, I made this oath uh, to this man over here, and uh, they would ask him, well, did you swear on the altar? Or did you swear on the sacrifice that was on the altar? And they say, well, I, I you know, swore on the altar. Well, you don't have to keep that. Don't worry about that. And they would do this themselves. They'd play this game. It's almost like making oaths and crossing your fingers behind your back, that <laughs> type thing. Um, and even so, one, they're playing this game, and all of it is sinful. And Jesus says, even in your sinful game, you get it wrong. It's not the sacrifice that would even make it significant. It would be the altar itself. It's not the gold that would be the temple. All of this is wrong. Even in your, in your sinful game, you're getting it wrong. But all of this was an act of pretense. It was an act of, look how holy we are. We won't even use the name of the Lord. Now, don't, don't we see this today? I, I run into people who won't even write the word God. They'll write G-D as if somehow they're so pious that they're up above this understanding of things. Then you start talking to them about the Lord and it's clear they have, I mean, not all of them, some of them have good understanding of scripture, but many of them, they're just completely out in left field. And it's all this act of pretense and piousness. And so the, the Pharisees to the people and to themselves said, look how holy we are. This is, we are, we're so pious. And Jesus is pointing out, you're not even close to pious. You're sinning in all of this. All of this is against my word. So, um, let's go on. What did Jesus teach? This is where there's a lot of misinterpretation. Jesus says, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for its throne... uh, For it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair black or white. First phrase, do not take an oath at all. Let me just throw this out to you. Is Jesus saying it is never right to take an oath? When you made your vows and said before God, was he saying you were sinning? Or when you go to court and place your hand on the Bible, was Jesus condemning that? What do you think? I hear a couple no's. I wouldn't, think, I wouldn't think so. It's not in his character. Why? Well, well, what, what's the reason? What is he talking about here? Well, you have to be really sure when you're going to take an oath because that's a, that's, a, that's a for sure. Mm-hmm. You can never break that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, 
But if he does say, don't take any oath at all. What's he saying here? Now, there have been people, by the way, who have taken this that far, saying, no, you can't even go to court. The Quakers did this. You go to court, you can't even um, take an oath on that. Any ideas? Any thoughts? Is he saying that you're going to do it false people on the Oh, he is definitely saying that. Let's remember the context here, because this is where this is where it is. Two things. One, Jesus is talking to them about their swearing in common speech. That's the first thing. So in your common speech, there should be no oaths. That's the first thing. But let's just keep reading the sentence. Does it say, do not take an oath at all on my name? That's not what it says. It says, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem or your own head. What Jesus is saying is here, here is, don't take oaths on anything other than me. So, in, in one sense, um, well, first of all, we, we know this is the case. Because this would, if, if he's saying never take oaths at all, it would be contradicting of Scripture. And he would be contradicting himself. Look through all the Old Testament and even some of the New Testament. You'll find great men of God who took solemn oaths. Abraham. Uh, even when Jesus was questioned by, I think it was a Pilate or one of them, said, "In the name, by the name of God, answer me this. And Jesus answers him. He doesn't say, I won't do that. So there's all places through Scripture where we see men of God taking oaths. Yes. Now that you mention that, when you really look at verse 34, it says, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, or it is God's throne. Mm-hmm. So we're going to get to another point. Or it is God's throne. So yep. swear by God only. That's right. So we don't take oaths in common language, and we don't take it on trivial matters, or I mean, um, on without God's name. But, and just to give you one more point, remember, anybody's in the Hebrews class, if you look at the second half of Hebrews 6, you will see that Abraham, or God swore to Abraham because he had no one greater. He swore on himself. Even God took an oath to confirm to us the truthfulness that he will save us if we trust in him. So even God takes oath. This is all talking about, he says, do not take an oath. He's talking about all the, the areas that it's wrong. Now, why would they not? Why are they, first of all, not supposed to take, uh, you know, oaths on earth or heaven or Jerusalem? That's exactly what you just said. The fact that because God is sovereign over all, the Jews thought they were, or the Pharisees thought they were getting out on a technicality. We're not actually swearing on God. And one thing Jesus is saying is here: Yes, and in fact, you actually are, because the the earth is mine, the heaven is mine. Your head is mine. You're not sovereign over your head. You don't make your hairs white or black or gray or blue or what? Well, you might make it blue. But <laughs> the, uh, the, the, uh, all these different uh, things, you're not sovereign. So even when the Pharisees were doing this, they were still profaning the name of God. Because they weren't sovereign over those things. There's only one who is. So, just think about this. When, you, when we ascribe things, there's so many ways to profane the name of God that we don't think about. For example, if we use the word holy, God is holy. 
And we use it to start describing things like cows or other base things. We are ascribing a characteristic, an attribute of God to something base, to something lowly. That may change the way we think about Robin's speech in the old Batman series. I mean, we do this all the time, even as believers. So what is the application here? In an, uh, so this is, how does this apply to us? This is where we are now. The first thing, the negative application, these are the things you shall not do. First of all, uh, taking an oath on anything other than God is prohibited. That's the first thing. Never do that. Second thing is all oaths, all swearing in common language is also prohibited. Arthur Pink points out the word that the Hebrew word for oath is written in a passive sense, which means you should never swear unless called upon rightly to do so. You're passive. You never want to make oaths. Only if if it's demanded upon you, like in a court of law, or if the conditions morally demand it. God in marriage, I think that is a good place to do it because we're making covenant between each other and between God. Um, so we're always passive. Now what's the point? Yes? Oh, I did a little word study recently about covenant vow um, oath and I used to, when I came to the end I was unsure and vow in the original language are they synonymous or not? I just really didn't I think at times you will find them uh, closely related. I mean, basically using synonymous, but there probably is a difference. I didn't do a word study on those two to really give you a solid answer today. But okay, because it's just that would be uh, an interesting study if you guys want to take it up at home. Look up to try to find the difference between vow and oath and see if there really is one. But yeah, that's a good a good thought. Yeah, I know that there's at the root that's still swearing vow and all the promise. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, you bring up a good point that's worth further investigation. <laughs> so I don't have the answer to it today. Um, so those are the negatives. So what, what is, remember now when we looked at uh, anger and murder, there's the negative things. Don't do this. Don't hate. Don't murder. But there was always a positive that can, command that comes from every negative command, and that is, You should love others. You should want what's best for them. So what is the positive command of all these negatives against oaths? Well, Jesus says it here in Matthew 5.37, just the last sentence. But let your communication be yes or no. For anything else, and I'm kind of paraphrasing, I have the King James Version here, comes from the evil one. That's the positive. This is how we're supposed to live. When you say yes, it should mean yes. When you say no, it should mean no. And you don't need to swear to confirm your words in common language because you're a person whose words can be trusted. And people don't need that from you. They don't need it from me, hopefully. I mean, that's that's the way we should be living. And so, um, that's who we're supposed to be. That's how we're supposed to live. I, I, there's people, it's funny, I go to the gym a lot, I play basketball with guys, and there are men 
who have to swear all the time when they call a foul because no one believes them. <laughs> and then there are other guys who call a foul and everybody immediately just trusts. Yeah, he doesn't call them unless they're serious. <clears throat> we should be like the other guy. Um, the fact that if we have to swear all the time, no, I promise, I swear, this is the way it is, we're showing a defect in our character. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's exactly what's happening. So, we need to be people whose words can be trusted. The Old Testament relates truth-telling to men's character. It's not like you can be a man of character and lie. You can't. We find words in Scripture that deal with this when it's deal with truthfulness. Men of truth. Not just people who are telling truth. You either be a man or a woman of truth or you're not. Integrity, reliability, all of these things deal with truthfulness. The Scripture uses two words that should be part of our character in the Old Testament, under the Old Testament law. Truthfulness, which means what we say is true. Not only when we say, I will do something, I will fulfill it, but also, if you're not even making a commitment to do something, is what you're saying true? When you talk about who God is, or the way things should be, is it true? The second thing is faithfulness. Will you follow through on your word? Now, a great uh, Hebrew scholar put it this way. Uh, He said, truthfulness is the presupposition of faithfulness. You cannot be a faithful person unless you are truthful. It's impossible. The truth of your words have to be there in order for you to even be faithful. When we think about being truthful... When we, are, when we lie, our very nature contradicts the very nature of God because he is true and he is truth. Now, the Pharisees were guilty of all kinds of sins concerning oaths, truthfulness, and faithfulness. And in their speech, even if they thought they were being holy, they were profaning the name of God. So let's ask the questions of us. What about our speech? Remember, first of all, the next time that you go to say, I swear, in common language, whether you're swearing on your mother's grave or poking needles in your eye or whatever, (laughs) you, what you're saying, Jesus said, is coming from the evil one. See what I mean when I say, we don't think we need this? And then we hear it and we go, wow, there is something there I need to pay attention to. When you speak, do you speak the truth? Not just in matters of what you're going to do or what you're telling people you will do. But when you're talking about things in life, do they reflect the word of God? Or do they reflect the world's understanding of things? All of this is part of being truthful. So here's some questions just that we can ask ourselves. First of all, do we promote worldliness with our speech? Are the things that we talk about always about this world, power, lust, riches, is all our speech just focused on the things of this world? If so, our speech is even 
like the world. And we're not really salt. Do we exult in vanity with the things we talk about? Worthless jokes. Is our speech always about us? Or are we giving glory to God? Things like that. You know, trivial quarrels. When a Christian gets involved in a quarrel on something that is so insignificant, they're telling the world, no, I live for this. This is important to me. And we're fighting over something that Jesus says, be selfless. Let him have the stapler. You know, whatever it might be. So, do our words, do we speak the gospel? Is our speech full of grace? Do we reflect the Beatitudes in our speech? Or are they harsh, biting, tolerant of sin? All of this is involved, pulls from the positive command to be people of truth. And most importantly, do our words align with or do they contradict the word of God? When we talk, when we talk about the philosophy of politics or when we talk about the philosophy of this or that, is that philosophy in contradiction to or in line with the word of God? That's important. Some things that we do that we need to avoid. Exaggeration. You want to see exaggeration, just watch the news. Make big deals out of nothing. Because why? They're trying to sell something to you. They get paid advertising dollars to be interesting. And so if the story's not that interesting, they need to come up with a headline that sounds much worse than it actually was. So you'll stick around and watch. And then the story itself will sound like, oh, this person did this horrible thing, this horrible thing, and then at the end you find out they're living that bad. They're playing with that person's character. Other times it's the other way around. Someone actually did something worth it because they like them. They'll play them up. It wasn't that bad. Exaggeration. We can't be like this. We need to be people whose yes be yes and their no be no. As far as our words are concerned, Henry Blocher, another uh, great Hebrew scholar, said this. As far as our words are concerned, their truth is in their conformity to the word of God. Kind of already made that point, but that is it. Do our words line up with the word of God? What about using his name in vain? I find so many of us, and I've been guilty of this myself, we play the same game that the Pharisees said, or did. I'm not actually using the Lord's name in vain. I say OMG. I say Jeez, or gosh. Isn't that very close to what the Pharisees were doing? I'm not swearing on God's name, I'm swearing on the other. So there's just things that we need to be think through. Are we asking God to damn trivial things? Or other people? Which would be the the epitome of hating someone in your heart if you want them damned. This is all about our speech. So often we worry about our actions and our actions need to align with our speech. And people say, you know, it's not about the words you speak, it's about who you are. Your words are actions. When you speak, it is an act. Is it a good act or is it a bad act? 
slander. All slander hurts people and it hurts the Christian's witness. Even if the only place that slander takes place in your life is on the internet talking about politicians you don't like. I find myself grieved sometimes when I see good Christian people post something about a politician they don't like, which maybe I don't even like, but yet the, the argument they're making is just so outlandish. That says you can't be trusted. Slanderers cannot, are not trustful. You can't trust slanderers. And we as believers can't be like this. Matthew 15, 18 says this. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. It's not as if your heart can be pure and your words be corrupt. If your words are corrupt, it's because the heart is corrupt. What do your words say about your heart? That was Matthew 15, 18, if anybody wanted that verse. What do your words say about your heart? Our words are one of the most defining things about us. And we rarely think about it scripturally. Here's something. If there's any point to take away from all this, it would be this one. Our words are never neutral. They either align with the word of God and his character, or they contradict it. Say that again. Our words are never neutral. They either align with the word of God and God's character, or they contradict it. What is our language telling others about the God we serve? What lyrics do we sing along with in the car? And don't think I'm here telling you how it is. I turned some music off this week because I was studying this, going, why am I mouthing these words? This is just as convicting upon me as it is on you. If we are not people whose yes is yes and no means no, how can we ever expect people to trust us when we speak the gospel to them? The most important thing we are to communicate. We can't. We lose the ability to be salt and light because we're not trustworthy in our words. Now, to bring this to a close, all of us have sinned enough this week in our speech alone to condemn us to an eternity of hell. So the first thing we need to do is repent of our shortfallings in this area. Come to Christ, who is the forgiver of sin. The one who says, I will take all of your sins and I bear them on the cross so that you will no longer bear this punishment. Place your faith in me and my righteousness will be counted as yours. And from there, I'm going to continue to work in your life and make you more and more holy. That's my goal. That's what he's doing and he will accomplish it. And so, may we run to him for forgiveness and strength the strength to do what we need to do. So often, if you're going through the week and you're noticing there is no word of God flowing out of you, it is probably an indication that there is no word of God flowing into you. <coughs> More so than just coming to a class. Because this won't do it. We have to be students of the word. May we, this week, just soak our hearts and minds in the word of God so that we can begin to speak correctly. 
that truth just flows out of us because that is the atmosphere in which we swim. We have to be in touch with the Word of God daily just to have, a con- just to have contact with reality. Because the world we live in, though it is real, it's saying, this is what matters. This is what you should live for. And this tells us something different. Wide is the road that leads to destruction. But narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. We'll get to study those words. Those come from the Sermon on the Mount. We'll get to look at them deeply. But are you willing to walk the narrow road, even with your words? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for including it, even though probably many of us didn't think we needed it coming into this week, Lord. We just pray that you help us to understand it, to be mindful of how we speak and what our speech says about our hearts and what it says about who you are. We just ask that you give us strength and light and and everything we need to do this. We thank you for the forgiveness of sin, for all that we've fallen short in this area. We just pray that you be with us now as we go out this week and uh, guide our mouths. In Jesus' name, amen.